Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. It's my privilege to bring you God's word today, which comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Would you please give your full undivided attention to the reading of God's holy word? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Amen. Join me in a word of prayer. Father God, as your word is preached right now, I pray that your word would be implanted deeply within us, that your word and Christ would dwell richly within us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are around 59 one another commands in the New Testament, such as forgive one another, serve one another, be kind to one another. And there are so many because there are so many ways that Christians are going to struggle in this life with ourselves, with one another in this world. There are so many because the path towards Christ's likeness is full of obstacles and temptations. There are so many because so many things will cause Christians to be discouraged, depressed, or divided. There are so many because we weren't meant to do life alone. And we want to remind you that the reason why we're going through this one another sermon series is so that all of these one another's can be practiced in the life of our church. And I want you to know that even during the season when we're not meeting in person, you can still very much practice all 59 of these one another's. Today, we're going to focus on just one of them, admonishing one another. And this is probably one of the less popular one another commands and maybe one of the most avoided one another commands. But I hope that we'll see why it's so important. And I pray that we as a church will begin to practice this more often. The first point we're going to look at is why we need admonishment. Paul says that we are to teach and admonish one another in this verse. What's the difference and why do we need both? If teaching is informing, admonishment is warning. If teaching is instruction, admonishment is intervention. If we only inform and instruct, but we never warn and intervene, then we're neglecting a very important sanctifying tool. Both informing and warning, instruction and intervention are essential for our spiritual health. And I believe many churches place high value on high quality teaching, but teaching alone is not enough. I think the book of Proverbs is maybe one of the best examples of balancing teaching and admonishing. For example, in the book of Proverbs, the father is teaching his son the value of hard work, yet at the same time, he's warning his son against laziness. In the book of Proverbs, the father teaches his son about marriage and the health of marriage and the goodness of marriage and loving his wife and at the same time warning his son against adultery. Informing along with warning is the best combination. Teaching points people to the path, the righteous path. But what happens when people begin to veer off that path? That's what admonishment is for. It's for those who are living in sin and those who are heading towards sin. One way to think about it is this. If teaching is like the traffic signs or the lines on the road, admonishment is like the car horn. No one likes to be honked at, but any driver will tell you that being honked at has saved them from a few accidents. And any driver will tell you that honking at others has spared others of getting to accidents as well. 
when might we in the church sound these horns? Maybe it's when you see a brother on a path that's going to destroy his marriage or his family. Maybe you notice someone's drinking is more frequently ending up in drunkenness. Or maybe a dating couple in your small group is living together and sleeping with one another. Some common responses to those scenarios are, so what? So what? But I don't think any serious Christian is ever so what about sin. Because I think any serious Christian in every serious church is serious about the holiness of God who has saved us and called us to be holy as he is holy. I think another common response is, that's none of my business. To that, I want to say, yes, it is, especially if you are a member of Christ Central. I want to remind you that when you became a member, you took public vows before this congregation and before the eyes of God. And one of those vows was this. I pledge to keep the purity and peace of the church. What does that mean? This is taken straight out of our membership class material. It means two things. In sound doctrine, that what we believe precedes how we live. Our theology determines how we live our lives. That's the teaching. But also in holy living. We are just as zealous to keep sin out of our fellowship as we are about false teaching. When a brother or sister sins, and yes, we all will, yes, even you, we do not condemn them, but we plead with them to repent for the sake of church purity and for the sake of the individual. True happiness is found only in holy living. That is admonishment. And so there we see the combination of both teaching and admonishment. We at Christ Central, we want to place a high value on high-quality teaching, but we also want to place high value on biblical admonishment. I do want to say that if you're not a member, membership is a way of saying, I am a Christian, and I want to commit to the spiritual maturity of this church, but not only that, I am asking the church to commit to my spiritual maturity also through teaching and admonishment when necessary. And we need this. Why? Because we're not always very zealous about our own personal sanctification and so we need others who will more seriously commit to our holiness when we're not very interested in it. It's safe to assume that you will sin and I will sin. Christians, even the most mature, are not perfect. And so every member who has taken vows at CCSC has promised to plead with their brothers and sisters who are living in sin or are on the path to sin this doesn't mean you have to be nosy and all up in everyone's business. That's not what we're saying. But it does mean that you understand other members are your business. So you can't say, that's none of my business. We are a covenant community. What's the goal of admonishment? And this is so important. There are four goals. The first is this. For the sake of the individual's holiness and happiness, I just read from our membership class material that true happiness is found only in holy living. Brothers and sisters, we believe that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The second goal is for the purity of the church. Paul teaches us in his epistles that a little leaven leavens the lump, meaning a little sin can rapidly spread through the entire body, influencing others and creating an ungodly culture. And so we admonish for the purity of the entire church. Thirdly, for the reputation of Christ. What the church looks like 
and what Christians look like is what the world is going to think Christ looks like. And so for the reputation of Christ, we admonish one another. And fourth, to be the light of the world. A worldly church will not attract the world. If the church doesn't look any different from the world, if the people in the church don't look any different from the world, then what's the difference? We can't say Christ makes such a big difference in our lives if we're no different. And of course, we'll have hobbies and interests in common since we share a common culture, but we want the world to see that Christ makes a big difference in our character, values, marriages, parenting, spending, that Christ makes a big difference in the way that we face and endure suffering and deal with disappointment and loss. We want the world to see a kind of joy that only those who have a real, intimate, saving relationship Jesus with Jesus could possibly have. This is why the mission statement of Christ Central is to see lives changed as Christ becomes central. The thing about sin is that it wants to to make its way into the center of our hearts and to rule our hearts. And so admonishment is the way that we keep sin out of the center so that Christ can remain central. We just talked about why we need admonishment. Now I want to talk about what admonishment needs, the second point. Just like how bad teaching will have detrimental results in the life of a believer and the health of a church, bad admonishment will also have a bad outcome. So what does good admonishment need? And I have a list of 11 things. I know that sounds like a lot, but some of these are very brief, and I want you to be aware of these. The first is the church. This isn't just for the pastors and the elders. We we talked about how this is for all believers, especially the members. Admonish one another. We also need courage. Admonishing someone means you're going to have to confront them. And confrontation is scary. We say, I don't want to strain our friendship or relationship. I don't want things to be awkward between us. And I think most of us are naturally wired people pleasers. We don't want people to dislike us. And if you're anything like me, you're also very risk averse. We don't want to rock the boat, but admonishment needs courage. Without it, we can't practice it. It also needs the word. In verse 16, Paul says that the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This precedes teaching, and it, it's necessary for admonishing. What does this mean? It means you're not just expressing your opinion or someone else's opinion or something that you read online. You're saying that there is a divine standard that we are holding all believers to that is laid out for us in Scripture. And so when we admonish fellow believers, we're making our appeal based on the Bible, and this is the highest appeal that we can possibly make. Practically, this means that you need to know the Word. You need to allow it to dwell in you richly. You need to know what you're talking about so that you can admonish faithfully and effectively. We also need wisdom. Paul says, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Wisdom is skillful application. And admonishment needs to be applied skillfully and carefully. We need to consider the best words, the best time, the best people to possibly bring along. We also need wisdom to determine which sins even need admonishing. Because not every sin has to be admonished. 
1 Peter 4, it says that love covers a multitude of sins. And so the goal isn't to try to admonish every sin we ever see. If you try that, you will be miserable, and all the people around you will also be miserable. Some sins you'll choose to cover and to forgive on the spot and overlook and have no need to bring up. But that depends, and that requires wisdom. We also need persistence. In 2 Kings chapter 17, it talks about how the Lord warned and admonished Israel and Judah by every prophet and seer. If God didn't care, and if God was not loving, he wouldn't even send one prophet. He just let Israel become the end of themselves. But God's steadfast love is seen in his persistent sending of prophets and seers, one after the other, to warn and admonish the people. And even though we know the Israelites refused to listen and repent, and that ultimately led to their defeat and exile, we know God didn't stop there. God sent one final prophet to admonish the people who preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The sending of Jesus is the perfect example of God's unrelenting, persistent love for his people, and we need persistence when we love and admonish our brothers and sisters. We also need assistance. Jesus lays out practical steps for admonishment in what's known as church discipline. Let me read for us Matthew chapter 18, 15 to 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Let's look at the steps that Jesus lays out for us. The first is you going to your brother or sister. And on this first step, you may have many conversations over the course of weeks or months trying to point them to the word, praying for them, and explaining to them how their particular sin is not aligning with godly living. But if at some point you realize that you're not not making any progress, then you want to move on to step two, which is when you bring along one or two other believers to speak to this brother or sister. And this isn't to gang up on the person, but it's for you to get some help. And these brothers and sisters are there to help you see the situation more clearly. They're, help, they're there to help you see your perspective more clearly. And maybe you'll realize that you were wrong about something or possibly even blowing this out of proportion. And it's good to bring others on board because maybe your relationship with that brother or sister living in sin or your history with that person may be the reason why you're unable to get through to them. And so be wise with who you bring on board. You want to select people who you believe are mature in faith, biblical in thinking, and will have influence on the individual. And I do want to note that this would not be considered gossip because you're actually doing your best to limit the spread of this information, which could lead to gossip, while at the same time helping and loving this person. And again, you may try this stuff for days, weeks, even months. But when you reach a point when you guys feel like we're not getting through to this person and making any progress, that's when you move on to step three. And that's when you bring in the elders of the church to speak to this brother or sister. 
if it's an especially egregious sin, then you may actually go straight to the elders. But most of the time, you're going to follow steps one and two. Most admonishment should take place among believers in the church before it ever reaches the elders. Jesus is teaching us here that the members are to be very involved in admonishing one another in these first two steps. The elders are the spiritual leaders charged with the oversight of all church members. And again, the purpose here isn't to intimidate the person. Rather, you want to heighten their sense of the seriousness of the matter and capture this person's attention to the gravity of their sin. The elders will pray for this person. They'll talk to this person. They'll try to shine the word of God into the dark places in this person's life in an effort to lead them to repentance. But if they remain obstinate in their sin and unwilling to repent, then this person may be excommunicated. And I know that kind of sounds medieval or even cruel, but it simply means that you are no longer a member. The elders are saying that based on this person's obstinance, unresponsiveness to the word and unwillingness to repent, that they can no longer, to the best of their understanding of biblical conversion, consider that person to be a believer. And this is what it means when Jesus says that they are to be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. This doesn't mean you shun them or shame them. They are actually most welcome to continue attending the church. We want them to hear the preaching of the word and the gospel Those are the ordinary ways that an unbeliever would come to faith in Jesus Christ. However, they are no longer welcome to partake of the Lord's Supper because that is a privilege and grace reserved for believers. And we hope and pray that them not not partaking of the Lord's Supper would stir within them a godly grief and lead them to repentance as they visibly see that they are cut off from the fellowship of Christ. It is likely that those who are excommunicated are going to leave the church anyways, out of anger, out of resentment. But I've read about pastors sharing how, as hard as it is when they've excommunicated members, that the Spirit has worked through that season of discipline. And there are times when those individuals are led to repenting, they return, and they're publicly restored as members. And it's such a powerful moment when they return to the Lord's table and partake of the bread and the cup with the rest of the church. There we see a picture of gospel forgiveness and restoration. The Book of Church Order, which is the instruction manual for Presbyterianism, it says this about church discipline, and I love how tender and soft it is. It says that discipline is to be exercised as under a dispensation of mercy and not wrath, and as the act of a tender mother correcting her children for their good. This leads us to the next thing that we need, which is love. That the impetus behind admonishment must be love. That in love, it's God, our Father, who disciplines and admonishes us. That he never leaves us in our own sin because that would actually be the most unloving thing to do. The Bible teaches us that God's discipline may be painful. But the purpose is never to punish because Jesus actually took all the punishment for us. Rather, it's to sanctify, to refine, and to mature that we may share in his holiness. And just like how God treats us as his 
beloved children when he disciplines and admonishes us. When we admonish one another, we're treating each other as beloved brothers and sisters of Christ who belong to the family of God, which is why in 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul says, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. We also need prayer. And the reason for that is because whenever we're addressing sin, it is always a spiritual battle. The spiritual battle isn't just on their end, but it's also on your end as well. Satan may want to twist our hearts and our admonishment in such a way that it spews out as uncontrolled anger or resentment or it's punitive and unloving. So we dare not attempt to admonish without prayer. We pray that they would receive it well, and we pray that we would deliver it well. We also need humility. A tone of superiority will undoubtedly undermine your attempts to admonish. If you think about it, there's actually no reason why any Christian should sound superior to any other, especially when admonishing another. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And the reason is this, in order to become a Christian in the first place, you already have to believe the worst about yourself. In order to become a Christian in the first place, we have to believe that we are dead in our sin, spiritually bankrupt, unable to merit God's favor, unable to save ourselves, justly deserving God's wrath for eternity to hell without hope for escape. Anyone who is a true Christian believes that about themselves. If you believe that God favors you and accepts you, because there's something admirable about you, then you grossly misunderstand the gospel. Gospel Gospel-believing Christians know that God only accepts us and loves us, not because of our righteousness, but because there is another righteousness from somewhere else that's credited to us, that covers us and allows us to stand before God and be accepted and not condemned. That righteousness only comes from one place and one person, and that is Jesus Christ through his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. The good news is this. And every Christian believes this good news, that if we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus, then by God's grace, his righteousness becomes our righteousness, and our sin becomes his. And we have no fear of judgment. This perfect love casts out all fear. So friends, if you are a Christian, there is no reason for you to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no reason why we should ever have a tone of superiority whenever we are speaking to, especially admonishing another fellow brother or sister, for we are all sinners saved by grace. So do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Keep the gospel in mind. Admonish with utmost humility. We also need integrity. Why integrity? Because like a sense of superiority or self-righteousness, hypocrisy will also undermine your attempt to admonish. This doesn't mean you have to be perfect in order to admonish somebody else. But we do need to take the log out of our own eyes first before we attempt to take the speck out of the eye of our brother or sister. And lastly, we need tears. 
I say tears because in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, Paul says this. For three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Admonishing one another is not this this cold practice. Paul admonished for three years with tears. Why tears? Because you care that much. Tears because it hurts that much when you see a brother or sister living in sin or on the path to sin. It pains us when we see somebody's fellowship with the Lord broken and fractured and not as strong as it could possibly be, knowing that that is stealing and robbing them of the deepest possible joy and happiness that they could be experiencing. Tears because we want so badly for our brothers and sisters to have the sweetest relationship with Jesus. We want them to put away sin and to put on Christ that they may become the aroma of Christ to a dying world as well, to the glory of God. I want to close with this verse from James. I hope it'll move you to care for one another through loving admonishment. James chapter 5, verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This doesn't mean you're saving the person in terms of salvation. That's only done by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What James is talking about here is saving the soul of the wanderer from the destructive consequences of their sin and from the agony of living apart from their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask this. Is there anyone in your life now that comes to mind that you may need to admonish? Would you begin praying for them, for yourself, for wisdom, and for God's help? And I also want to say that if we're all going to be practicing admonishment a little bit more, then we should expect to be admonished. If giving admonishment isn't easy, receiving it isn't any easier, and so be teachable and be humble. Listen for truth, even if it's not delivered in love. Christ central for the glory of God for the purity of the church, for the reputation of Christ, and love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Teach and admonish one another. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would understand and and espouse what Proverbs teaches us, that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Train us. Keep us humble. Give us wisdom. Give us grace to courageously speak truth and love to one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.